Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today we're on part two of the uh, Nancy Morgan murder. Uh, also, sorry for the delay in this episode. Uh, we partied a little bit too hard uh, for my birthday. 100%. <laughs> Still <laughs> recovering. Had, yeah, had to, you know, delay the episode a couple of days, but you'll still get it and you'll still get your other episode this week and probably a bonus one that I've yet to edit. So I was about to say uh, contingent on the fact that Montana has enough time after uh, continuing birthday festive festivities to get the editing. Yeah. True. True that. Uh, Because I have another huge party this weekend for my birthday. My birthday is a whole month event. (laughs) Do you expect anything else? Uh, No. So before we get started, uh, it is the drink of your choice this week. This is an unsolved um, and serious case. And this week, I'm actually going to be covering the investigation into the murder, um, the corruption in Madison County, and the trial that eventually happens and we'll talk loosely at the end about a very good suspect for this case um but i didn't actually write up notes to talk about that i'm just gonna tell you from my memory or else if i did write it up it was gonna be like a 30 page notes which (laughs) typically my notes are like what maybe five to ten pages long if that so, it's enough. Yeah, it's enough. The, the this by itself is 19 pages. So, okay. Boom. Well, let's get started. <laughs> let's get without started. further ado. Without further ado, yeah. So, um I had like a really hard time trying to like decide in what order I wanted to tell you the rest of this in. Um I rewrote my notes like four times. <laughs> Hi, welcome to my world. I I think it's important to understand like certain things, but I don't want to tell you certain things before, if that makes sense. Um, So hopefully I got it right. Um, Anyways, we're going to recap a little bit uh, since it's been over a week since part one came out. Again, sorry for the delay. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for your patience and bearing with us. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. So when we left off, the local sheriff's office in Madison County had discovered Nancy's body hogtied and nude in the backseat of her government-issued vehicle. She was also found on what used to be Sheriff uh, Roy's land, but was now owned by the United States Forest Service and a part of the Pisgah National Forest. So, Nancy who was a federal employee, was found in a federally owned vehicle on federal land. To say this complicated the case would be an understatement. There's also the fact that Madison County is a very small and rural area. Their police force isn't fully equipped to handle a crime like this. To be honest, no one who ends up investigating this case is equipped to do so. So get ready to get pissed off. I always am. Yeah, well... 
This one's pretty bad. Out of the gate, the crime scene was what Mark wrote in his book. The quote, the crime scene was a case study in confusion and barely controlled jurisdictional chaos, unquote. When the call went out over the police scanners, every officer in the general area showed up at the crime scene. FBI agents also showed up since this was a federal employee, again, on federal land, so duh, as well as two SBI agents. Uh, um, if you don't remember what the SBI agents are, it's North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. The SBI agents were Charlie Chambers and Harold er Elliott. Even though there were way too many people working the crime scene, it seemed they were working amicably from what people have said since. So take that with a grain of salt. For sure. From what, <laughs> yeah. From what I gathered, uh, Sheriff Roy Roberts didn't feel very secure in handling the case like this and deferred to the FBI agents to work the scene. Since hey, how about that? I know. Know your limitations. Insane. I'm proud. Well, since the SBI agents are typically there to assist local law enforcement, they deferred to Sheriff Roberts and allowed the FBI agents to do their jobs without interfering as well. Seems great, right? In theory. In theory. The problem with the setup, outside of the obvious that too many people were trekking around the crime scene, is that the FBI wasn't as trained in homicide investigations as the F SBI is. So SBI focuses a lot more on, like, homicide investigations, where uh, FBI um, focuses on, like, a lot of other things. Okay, fair enough. So in this it's kind of a FBI should have stood back and been like, uh, we're going to we're going to let you kind of take the lead on this. Well, it's not even in that. In theory, yes. In theory, yes. But outside of that, what's about to follow is directly the FBI's fault. So. Okay. While the FBI does have access to more resources, more advanced technologies and things like that, they just weren't the most trained in this situation. But the SBI stepped back and allowed the FBI to process the scene. The only thing the SBI did was to advise the FBI during this time. For instance, at one point, one of the SBI agents suggested they shorten the chain of custody for evidence being logged. Pretty much, instead of handing it to another person, maybe just bag and tag it as you find it. You know, basic stuff. And less so, hands touching it, less chances of it gets screwed up. Yeah, and so hopefully, like, a defense lawyer won't have a field day if it ever ends up in a trial case. Because the chain of custody was broken. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see how that plays out. Considering so it's being mentioned, I'm going to take a wild guess and say it didn't work out well. <laughs> Something like that. So before any evidence was really gathered at the scene, uh, crime scene photographer and the local coroner did evaluate the scene. But during this time, you had a shit ton of law enforcement agents from three different agencies milling around. And they were also smoking cigarettes at the crime scene. Okay, so I have a question. I feel like it's conflicting information here. So either they stepped back and let the FBI do it, or they didn't. It sounds like they were like, oh, we're not responsible for it, but we're also going to hang out and see, how, see what happens. Yeah. 
pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, at the same time, there were officers handling crowd control. What do I mean by this? Well, every local in the area turned up to the crime scene as well. It was a hot mess. Like, in one of the descriptions, it said that they could not even stick a pole through the crowd, let alone get themselves through it. Like, there were people driving up and, like, sitting on the road and just watching as they process this scene. One person even said they saw a woman with a toddler with her just watching them process the scene like there were so many people who showed up it's it was insane human curiosity at its best or worse (laughs) or worse um and there's a lot of like it, it talks about the different people that show up there's a lot of people who show up from the vista um group there were some mentions of people that will show up later on but i just didn't put them in this portion of it but pretty much it was a shit show Overrun by people, overrun by law enforcement agencies. Just, yeah, Not what you want. Once the crime scene photographer was done taking the first round of photos, they turned to Nancy's body. Like I said before, she was completely nude and hogtied in the backseat of her vehicle. But she also had a pair of maroon shorts that she had been wearing pulled over her head. So like a... Like a burlap sack sort of thing, only they used her shorts. They removed the shorts from her head at this point. And I'm going to, like, quote directly from the book for this next part. It's going to be a description of how she was found. And if you don't feel you can listen to this part, feel free to skip forward 15 to 30 seconds. No, not you, Samantha. Button's not working. Uh, so, quote, her knees rested on the floor of the back seat. One buttock was on the edge of the seat directly behind the driver. Her body, face up, lay sprawled across the seat on her right side. Her head turned at an odd angle against the back cushions. Her pierced ears were still in place. A watch on her left uh, wrist had stopped at 1230. The fingers of both hands were curled. She had been tied with a multi-strand blue and olive nylon cord and trussed in such a way that as she tried to free herself or even straighten up, she would have choked to death. Dr. Paige Hudson, the state's highly regarded chief medical examiner, said later, quote, There was so much tension in that rope that it would have strangled her, unquote. This is probably somebody who knows a little bit of something about tying somebody up. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have the first idea of how to do that. Me either. It's one of those situations, too, if you had, like, a leg spasm or something like that, you're going to immediately, like, choke yourself to death. So it could it could still be ex- – well, I mean, obviously, this was so, – So this would be a case of, like, the shorts were almost more of an afterthought or to cut specifically to cover up her face just because they weren't what was going to strangle her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's something interesting. 
a state fish and game officer on the scene because the FBI, the SBI, and the Sheriff's Department isn't enough. You also have to have the fucking fish and game officer on the scene. In case anybody there is hunting illegally. <laughs> okay. Uh, this state fish and game officer lent an FBI agent a hawkbill knife to cut the cord away from her body on the scene. Now, I'm not sure if this is standard practice for homicide scene investigations, but, uh... I feel like not. No. No. I don't think it is. But, I mean, I'm not a professional in, in that, uh, in that field, so I, I can't guarantee, but I feel like it doesn't sound like it. I've never claimed to be a state fish and game officer, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if so i got paid for every single time you said i do not claim to be and then finish the sentence. <laughs> oh my god Ugh. now inside the car they found a road map two umbrellas along with a pile of nancy's clothes and one of her sandals it looked like they tore off her clothes because all of them were ripped like she had there was a rip in the shorts there was a rip on a bra a rip in her blouse there was also a copy of the Asheville uh, Citizens Times on the passenger seat, a pair of women's sunglasses, a skillet, and several books that were scattered around the vehicle. If you remember, she had gone and picked up like the skillet and stuff like that the previous day. Um, and a bloodstained piece of clothing uh, was found near her body. Not sure what article of clothing it was. I just know that it was white and it was bloodstained. Okay. Nancy's other sandal was found outside the rear passenger door, which weird, but okay, it could have fallen out, you know, at some point. Um, her handbag was found a good distance away on a carpet of pink and white trillium, and it still had all of her, like, belongings inside of it. Okay. Which, odd. Like, Well, the only thing I can think of is somebody tossing it to make it look like a robbery or her tossing it at the beginning of the scuffle to try to distract them so she could get away. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's what they tell you. If somebody comes at you and asks for your stuff, throw it as far away from you as possible so that hopefully they go for that and it gives you a chance to escape. Oh, I didn't know that. The more you know. Well, you know, we're trained on how to handle assault situations yeah. rather than other individuals being trained to or told not to do it in the first place um so that's just you know one of those little tips that i've heard seven's pissed off about it too she got a lot to say yeah as she, she hasn't eaten dinner yet so she's out there um, a woo-wooing i get it council. i get pretty grumpy when i haven't eaten too <laughs> And meanwhile, Tiger's, like, staring at the door. Um, anyway, the sheriff called Claire. Um, so, wait, 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 wait. Oh, it wasn't done. The car's windows were rolled up, and the car was unlocked. It had rained recently, but the leaves under the car were dry. In the trunk, they found a woman's multicolored jacket. Um, and the reason I bring up, like, the leaves were dry underneath, it's it's apparent that her car had been there for a while. 
Yeah. Um, the sheriff called Clarence Cutshaw at the grocery. Uh, if you remember, Clarence Cutshaw was um, the her uh, landlord, one of her landlords, and also okay. kind of like took care of her and her roommate when she had a roommate. But they called him in order to have him come to the scene and identify Nancy's body. Her body was then removed from the scene and taken to Memorial Mission Hospital in Asheville for autopsy. Now, the autopsy got off to a bad start. Dr. Page... But this has all been handled so well up to this point. I know. Just by the book. <laughs> by the book. Dr. Paige Hudson was the one performing it and had traveled specifically to Asheville to do it. It was late when it started, which caused him to rely on fluorescent lights instead of the natural light from the outside. The attending FBI agents also showed up late, and Dr. Hudson was stunned at the handling of crucial evidence in the case. He was also really fucking annoyed with the FBI and, like, made it apparent that he thought that they were a bunch of yahoos. Uh, which Sounds is funny. like that would be me in that position. Yeah. Quote, none, none of the ties or ropes that I heard so much about that had been described to me over the telephone were present. As it turns out, they were in the automobile trunk of an FBI agent who showed up about halfway through the autopsy. This is not quite the way it's done, even back in 1970, unquote, Dr. Hudson said. <laughs> well, all right, then. Nothing like calling people out. Well, yeah. Dr. Hudson described the FBI's participation as, quote, Mickey Mouse. That's supposed to have been the nation's top flight law enforcement organization, and the agents involved didn't seem to know better than to remove the evidence, remove the ties that had been associated with the body, and presumably had caused the death. It just reminded me of dealing with some of the most inexperienced of law enforcement officers, which occasionally happen in North Carolina. By and large, they all seem to know better than to remove potential evidence from the body at the site of the murder, unquote. He's basically like, why the fuck did you cut these ties away? Like, the body's supposed to show up here like that. Well. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my. Also, thanks a lot, guys. You made my job a lot harder. Appreciate it. Yeah. You had one job, and you fucked it up. Mm-hmm. And not only did you, like, take the ties away, but you put it in a random FBI agent's trunk. And, like, didn't even bring it in. And this dude couldn't even show up on fucking time. Like, what? Well, and, and you didn't have it, like, protected at all. So any hairs that might be in that rope could have come from the trunk and not necessarily actual evidence. So now I have to, like, go through your trunk and make sure that none, nothing that's on this rope matches what's in your trunk. And it could have transferred from the rope into your trunk. And now we have cross-contamination. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they bagged and tagged it. I just know that they put it in a random FBI agent's trunk. At this rate, um, I would not. I think I they just tossed surprised. it in there. Well, we'll find <laughs> out later. It doesn't really fucking matter. Uh, cause of death was determined to be strangulation, but they couldn't determine if it was before she was tied up or after because, you know, they fucking removed the ropes um, before the doctor could examine it. 
Nancy had been dead at least 48 hours before the time of the autopsy, which put her death sometime before about 9 o'clock Monday night. There was sperm found in her vagina and anal cavities, but Dr. Hudson didn't swab her mouth for sperm for some reason and never said why. Um, there were no semen stains on her clothing and no residue under her fingernails. Dr. Hudson wrote that the sperm could have been could have been deposited no more than 24 hours before her death. The samples were transferred to four glass slides and preserved in paraffin. Okay. So we we have physical evidence, something that can be tested. Along just keep that in mind as we go along. Along with the injury from the rope around Nancy's um, throat, Nancy had abrasions on both elbows, which indicated that she had been dragged at one point while she was still alive. Type A blood stains were found on the piece of clothing Nancy, the piece of clothing that was found near Nancy in her car, but Nancy's blood type was O, so we have someone's blood. Right. And when they examined her stomach contents, her stomach contained, quote, a considerable amount of part, uh, partly masticated food material. There was a relatively large quantity of what appeared to have been salad greens or possibly lettuce. Many carrot, carrot fragments were also recognized, unquote. Now, if you remember, when she was at, at Walker's house, she had wilted that lettuce and bacon grease or whatever and made omelets. But at no point did they introduce carrots into that meal. Just like, keep that in mind. Um, Also, she didn't really eat a lot at his house. So do with that what you will. I mean, it sounds just like a regular salad mix that you would buy, like a pre-mixed salad mix. Mm Mm-hmm. But no mention of, like, an omelet in her stomach or anything like that. She also had a blood alcohol level of 0.02 at the time of the autopsy. Now, I'm not familiar with, like, alcohol levels. Is that, like, low or high? Do you know? 0.02? Yeah. Well, it's not high, high, but, I mean, I would have to, you can keep talking and I'll look it up. But okay, I, I don't think that's extremely high. Okay. Um, so she had that at the time of the autopsy, but apparently the crime scene investigators reported something different. I I couldn't find where they had reported and what it was. Um, he also noted that Nancy's blouse was cut open with a sharp instrument rather than ripped, like crime scene investigators stated, quote, the FBI stated. So somebody cut her out of her blouse. Not ripped it. So according to this, as far as something that would be concerning, um, 0.02 is the lowest level of of possibly ever being influenced by alcohol. Um, You're not actually impaired. How much did she weigh? She was, she was five, two and she's a hundred pounds. Yeah. Okay. So 0.02 would be like green level. Wouldn't really worry about it. Um, I think the first level of being impaired is like 0.04. And once you're at 0.08, 
you are considered like legally intoxicated. Okay. So, so she, very she, low, she, very low. Maybe had well, one drink at some point in the last hour or two. Yeah. Well, if you remember, she drank that bottle of cream, whatever, at Ed Walker's house. So if she had drank an entire bottle, my thought process is like she probably was a little bit drunk. She was probably so. It's according to the the thing I found. Point for somebody who weighed a hundred pounds, one drink, like one actual tech, typical drink, um, would be 0. 0.05 typically. So okay. if she drank a whole bottle of something, either the alcohol content was really low, or it had been a while since she drank yeah. that. Time had passed between her drinking yeah. that and, like, her ending up dead. And I, I know that, like, alcohol... And it does disperse. Does yeah. Disperse after a little bit die. after death. But probably not that much. Um, here's something interesting. One of the main things that happened in the investigation are... One of the main things that happens or occurs during investigations are interviews with those closest to the victim and those last seen with the victim. That, however, didn't happen here. Sheriff Roberts had short conversations with the Vista workers and sent them on their way. But nothing formal ever occurred. That is until Nancy's funeral. And even then, it wasn't by law enforcement officers. After Nancy's funeral, back at Earl and Abigail Morgan's home, Earl pulled the Vista workers that attended into a room together where he began to question them about the lead up to Nancy's murder and about the locals and several other things. Many of the Vista workers felt relieved to finally be getting somewhere with this investigation. They felt like they were helpless and concerned for their own safety. They wondered why none of the involved law enforcement agencies had questioned them the same as Earl was doing then. By all accounts, Earl questioned them in a way that kept them at ease, even when at one point he asked Ed Walker outright if he had slept with Nancy, to which Ed responded, no, he had not. Also, I believe Ed here, he is a bit of a square, if you remember from part one. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Bless him. No shade, Ed. He ends up going through a lot. Speaking of the Vista workers... They were immediately removed from the Madison County area after the funeral, not just for their own safety, but also because tensions were high. Many of the locals believed that one of the Vista workers had to have committed the murders, while the Vista workers believed it had to have been a local who had done it. Surprise. That's not really conducive to working together. So, adios. Days after the funeral, two FBI agents met with Earl and George. Uh, George is one of Nancy's brothers, and Earl is her father, Morgan, in the same room where Earl had talked to the Vista workers. They described what had been done to Nancy in detail. Unnecessary. Yeah, it, yeah, it really was. George was pretty fucked up about it. He had nightmares about it for years. Well, I imagine. Um. And yeah, and Earl was kind of like a stoic guy, so he didn't really talk about this kind of stuff. Um, and the FBI agents promised to bring those responsible to justice. This would not happen. 
some high-level bureaucracy would go down instead. Great. This is about to be a fucking shit show. And I had to summarize it as best as I could, but there's so much more on it. There's a lot to this part, but I'm going to give a short overview of what happened. See, while the FBI pretty much led the investigation at the scene, they ended up pulling out of the investigation completely mere days after her funeral. So they handled all all of the crime We're going to get all of the evidence together. We're going to do all the initial reports, and then we're just going to do on out. Like, goodbye. Yeah. We did all all the work. You guys can figure it out from here. Yeah. Hey, look, aren't we great? Um, Can you? We don't want to do the actual work where we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. We'll just give you all the stuff that we could find, and, and you guys work from that. Well, and hopefully... We give you all of it because sometimes we don't. Um, anyway. Oh, yeah. Some of it was left in my trunk. My bad. I'll bring that back tomorrow. Oopsie. <laughs> Dr. Hudson said, quote, one of the State Bureau of Investigation agents chuckled and said that the FBI had it long enough to see if they could come up with a quick solution. And when they couldn't, they gave the jurisdiction back to the State Bureau. That's kind of what I figured. Also, did they wash any of the clothes before they returned them? I swear to God. No, <laughs> not this time. Well, no, they didn't, but uh, something else. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay. That left Sheriff Roy Roberts and SBI and the SBI to take over the case. And speaking of good old Roy, he was so out of his own depth that he quietly removed himself from the investigation and instead allowed his chief deputy to take over the case. Dedrick Brown. So you're out of your depth, but you're going to hand it over to somebody less experienced? hmm Just to clarify. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And by all accounts, like, Roy Roberts did not want to do that. Like, he, he ran for sheriff, but he thought it was going to be, like, an easy-peasy sort of thing. Like... He made most of his money from farming. He was like a Sunday school teacher. Like he liked to go fishing. He liked to remove the like spray packs from skunks for some reason. Like what a fucking weirdo. Um, yeah. He just like hanging around the jail and like playing cards with people and like not actually doing sheriffly duties. So. Sheriffly. That's my new favorite word. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of get it. Um, so he's like, deuces, my friend. Like, I can't, I I didn't sign up for this. Y'all figure it out. This sounds hard. So I'm going to go. Ooh, you, you guys yeah. can handle it. I didn't know I'd have to do work. <laughs> I did not sign up for this, guys. Sorry, I got to go. Uh <laughs> There was a lot of, like, political crap around uh, this time, too, with the FBI stepping away. There was a bunch of, like, back and forth and several high-up politicians, including J. Edgar Hoover at the time, getting involved. Many were pushing to force the FBI's involvement back into the case. No one really believed the local North Carolina guys could handle the case. Finally, Earl Morgan, Nancy's dad, stepped in and got the ball rolling. This dude's fucking amazing. If you remember, he was a high security clearance officer at the Pentagon and had several contacts in political settings. 
the FBI had fi- did finally step back in, and this was after like Earl sent like a memo directly to J. Edgar Hoover saying like, what the fuck? Like, can y'all figure this shit out? I don't believe that the SBI and the local sheriff's department are going to handle this correctly. We need the FBI's involvement. And the FBI kept saying, well, we don't think it's like, the whole thing was like, they stepped in because she was a federal worker on federal land, all of that other stuff. But technically, she wasn't like a federal agent. So they didn't really need to be involved. And the only reason they would need to be involved is if it was like a, um, if they believed like she had been killed specifically because she was a Vista worker or specifically from like a hate group, like the clan. Which That's I mean, I, I can understand that, but also you royally messed it up at the beginning. You can't just back out after you get bored with it and go, Oh, Y'all's turn. We couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Sorry. We can't figure it out. This isn't going to make us look like, really good. I feel so. like you should have determined that this was not your case from the get-go. You either want it or you don't. It Once you take it on, it's yours until you solve it. Yeah, That should have been the way that it was handled, in my opinion. My humble no, opinion. I, but I'm not an expert. <laughs> yeah. As we've established, we're not J. Edgar Hoover. No, and we can't make not. the FBI go back in no. but the fbi did go back in and there's a lot of like um hate sort of coming from the fbi that's more of like a conservative sort of uh group at the time the oeo uh which is the leading department for vista workers they were seen to be kind of like these liberal like you know, hippie dippy sort of people who just wanted to give out free handouts and things like that. And people from the FBI didn't, didn't like them And the higher ups in the FBI didn't like the higher ups in the OEO. And so they were actively not wanting to work on this case because they just didn't get along. So keep that in mind. That was, there was like a whole chapter on that, but that's my brief. Oh, I have no chapter. Chapter. <laughs> Uh, But the FBI finally did, they were forced to step back in, but it seemed they might have had a motive to do so. And that this is kind of why, like, I just, no way you mean they did. They didn't do it out of the kindness of their hearts or out of a feeling of obligation. Nay, nay. Uh, Pretty much the FBI didn't trust or like the Vista program. And if it turned out that one of the Vista workers was the murderer, it would effectively kill the program. So the only reason they were doing it, was to kill the Vista program. Oddly enough, I kind of well, had a sneaking suspicion. Allegedly. That is allegedly. why. Allegedly. allegedly. All of this allegedly. Um, don't come at me, FBI. I literally don't do anything except watch cat videos on TikTok. So. You will be very bored staying outside of her house. <laughs> yeah. You'll just be like, why does she keep going in that one room looking around like she's forgotten something and leaving? Because I forgot why I went in it, okay? And then it'll be like, why does that dog sound like she's murdering it all the time? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, There was one guy in the FBI, like one good guy in the FBI, but it wasn't when this started out. Just the one. (laughs) Um, So around the same time, Earl Morgan continued to monitor the investigation the father, but during the same time, the father of one of Nancy's friends, also an Air Force career officer like Earl, 
left the service to become a special agent at the FBI as a personal favor to Earl, and this man kept informal tabs on the Bureau's involvement and kept Earl informed. Nice. Like, that's got like, his hands in every pot. Like, yeah. he's making stuff move in the background. Earl is like... This is what, honestly, I feel like this is what most parents would do if it was their child and they had the ability to do so. Yeah. Earl's I mean, after I, like, getting an answer. Yeah. Get it done. Sure. Um, I don't understand yeah. what's so difficult about this. Just do it. Yeah. He's he's calling in all his favors, and I'm here for it. Um, unfortunately, like, Abigail, um, she's not really involved in it, but I, I don't, I think Nancy's death really affected her in a way that is just not like she, she wasn't, I mean, obviously they all want answers, but she, I don't think she could get past like the loss enough to it. And there's actually, I didn't include it in here, but during um, Nancy's um, funeral, when they went to the graveside, it was raining. So most people didn't actually go, like they left the graveside before her coffin was lowered in. Abigail couldn't leave the car because she was so distraught. So she stayed in the car um, during the burial. The only person left at the graveside during the storm while her coffin was being lowered was Earl. He was the only one there, which is fucking devastating. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's there for his daughter. Now, after her death, the gossip train began to spread. People began painting Nancy as promiscuous and flirtatious. Her dating history was brought out and paraded around as well as her secrets. So do you remember like when I told you in part one that Nancy had a very bad breakup that she didn't take well with that professor guy? Vaguely, yeah. Well, it turned out Nancy had been pregnant at the time and had an abortion. That was why she had such a hard time after the breakup. This all came out in the aftermath and it turned the view of Nancy of Nancy from being a young, beautiful, innocent victim of murder to what always happens, especially when it comes to young women. Plenty of like slut shaming and they thought she put herself into that situation. I don't know about everybody. However, I can pretty much guarantee that not a single person asks to be murdered. No. Let alone in one of the most brutal ways possible. So regardless of how you feel about a person, I don't care if they're the worst person on the face of this planet. That's not. Nobody asks for that. No. Regardless of what they've done in their life. So. You know, but that's human nature, right? First, we're going to be super nosy about something that we really shouldn't be involving ourselves in. And then when we don't have any facts, we're going to make up some. Yeah. And then when we do find out facts, we're going to make them as bad as possible so that we feel better about ourselves. Bingo. Bingo. And it's a lot easier to feel good about a situation that's unsolved and there doesn't seem to be any resolution when... You can sit there and say, oh, well, they did this, that, and the other. Yeah. They were terrible people to begin with. So somehow it makes it better. But it doesn't. Which is like, I don't understand how, like, 
having partners and I understand it was a different time, but even today, like it's one of those things, like if you have more than two partners in your lifetime, you're a fucking slut, like fuck off. Seriously. It's just, whatever. I would be called a huge slut. Look. Uh, (laughs) Would be. (laughs) Oh, already am. Oops. Uh, Uh, It's just, it's just one of those things that's the most frustrating because you like to think that we as a society are growing up and getting better and that we're maturing and that we're rising above these things. But fact of the matter is we really aren't because there's too many people that instead of focusing on themselves and how to make themselves better as a person, it's so much easier and more fulfilling to point the finger at the other person doing something that we deem worse and saying, how could you do that? How could you do this? Instead of saying, yeah, I speed every single day, but you know, that's okay. Cause other people do it too. I'm only mad when I get caught. You're not better. You're, you're just as bad. It's just in a different way. All of us have things we're working on. Instead of focusing on the other person, focus on yourself. Be a better person. If you can focus on you and do better for you, then the other will ride itself. If yeah, all of us would focus on ourselves, the world would be a better place instead of pointing the finger at the other person and saying, you need to do better. Yeah. And maybe don't be so obsessed with um, what people are doing with their genitals. Uh, that's That's my, you know, motto. I mean, I'm excited for your genitals. I'm always here for it. I'm, ha- I'm happy for you. I don't, but, uh, I, I really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> In general, you, you do you, boo. Um, doesn't affect me. No as judgment, not- no judgment or curiosity on my side. <laughs> you're yeah. good. Go for it. I'm clapping you on. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, go for it. So back to this. There's a bunch more back and forth with the FBI and the SBI. Pretty much the SBI kind of botched the investigation along with the FBI. Several pieces of evidence weren't analyzed. Fingerprints weren't compared. And it seemed that the agencies had decided early on who their guy was and would not be dissuaded from it. And that person was a Vista worker, Ed Walker. What's interesting is that J. Edgar Hoover, all the way from Washington, believed it was obviously a local who had committed this murder, along with many others involved in the case and plenty of the locals. Even the locals from Madison County believed that it was a local person who did it and not Ed Walker. Ed Walker. And mm. there's no actual evidence that Ed Walker ever did anything. Did his blood type match? No. Any DNA? They never tested. So they had nothing except for a suspicion. Where have we heard this before? Oh, God. We got a long way to go. After nine months of investigation, the FBI formally closed the case, stating they had pretty much done all they could for the case. The SBI tuned down their investigation as well, taking their team of four agents down to two. Sheriff Roy Roberts declined to run for another term as sheriff after this and resigned before his term was even up. His chief deputy, um, was it Dedrick? Yeah, ran that term against the previously long-term elected E.Y. Ponder, but lost out to Ponder. Here's where our corruption in Madison County is going to come into play. 
I can't go as in-depth as I'd like for time's sake, but here's the overview of what's going on here. There was an event that occurred during the Civil War in Madison County that was aptly named, quote, Bloody Madison, unquote. This event still affected politics in Madison County at the time. I don't have time to, like, go into Bloody Madison, but it is kind of the reason why politics ended up the way they were in the county. Pretty much, here's just kind of like a brief thing outside of my notes about bloody Ma- what happened in Bloody Madison. It was during the Civil War, and in the Appalachian Mountains, it was kind of split on <clears throat> what side everybody was on. You know, in if you went to Alabama, most people are going to be on the Confederate side. If you went up to, like, New York, it's going to be mostly Union people. But it was, like, 50-50 in the Appalachians which kind of makes sense honestly because how much like southerners will call people from south and north carolina yankees (laughs) people from the north probably call them southerners you guys just don't fit in anywhere (laughs) no we don't We we certainly don't but pretty much one side at one point had a group of the other side surrender and they just fucking massacred them so instead of like just imprisoning these groups that surrendered to them, they massacred them in the most brutal way possible. And like, that's why it's called Bloody Madison, because the streets fucking ran in blood that day. It was, and it's, it's something that the locals still talk about. It's something that still affects every aspect of their lives. Um, and it's kind of why what we're about to talk about kind of plays into why that it why that is such a poignant event in their local history now the ponders were dickheads and i'm gonna just blanket say that okay noted seriously there's so much that goes on here i could spend forever talking about it pretty much the county was run by republican lawmakers up until Ponder ran, and this was like in the 40s, um, and that's E.Y. Ponder. He won, but just barely. The previous sheriff, Hubert Davis, wasn't having it, though. He barricaded him and his officers into the sheriff's office, and nightly gunfire was exchanged on the streets between the two groups. Davis basically charged Ponder and his brother, Zeno Ponder, with fraud. But Ponder took it up with the Supreme Court and was eventually placed in the sheriff's office. Zeno Ponder quickly started moving through offices and boards in the county. He was moving his way up. Um, he was creating a democratic control of the county. Many other family members were eventually appointed to offices in Madison County. It was rigged, all of it. Election fraud was rampant. Not only not did they, Yeah, it's it's not... Um, And not only did they control the politics in the area, they controlled everything. If you didn't pay the ponders and money and votes, you couldn't even get a job in Madison County. Teachers were forced to give a certain percentage of their pay to the ponders while they did, while they did so, oh, sorry. While they did do some good, such as funding certain things for poverty, poverty stricken areas, Their corruption and rampant favoritism wreaked havoc in the county for decades. 
They packed jury seats on trials and bribed anyone and everyone to ensure their henchmen and the people they favored in the county got off for certain things. Ain't gonna lie. You're starting to sound Southern. I'm I'm just gonna tell you. This sounds uh, like something that would have happened in my state. Oh, yeah. It did. It did. Multiple times. So why does all of this matter? Well, for a few reasons. E.Y. Ponder had been the sheriff for years before Sheriff Roy Roberts was elected. Due to loyalties in the county, many locals went directly to Ponder during the investigation with information about the murder instead of Sheriff Roberts. Sometimes Ponder passed this information on to Roberts, and sometimes he didn't. So he held information back from Roy Roberts, who was investigating the case. Is that not impeding an investigation? Yeah. When he ran against Dedrick Brown... And one, he ran on the campaign that he would close the case of Nancy Morgan's murder, which really helped him during the election. Years later, in the mid to late 80s, it was looking like Ponder would lose re-election or come close to losing to Dedrick Brown, after all. This is about 12 years after, by the way. He got re-elected. Um, after two re-elections, people were beginning to lose faith in Ponder to solve the murder of Nancy Morgan. It was also thought that Ponder, that the Ponder brothers actually knew who killed Nancy, but didn't pursue it after being elected, which sounds about right. Yeah. Allegedly. (laughs) In the spring of 1984, Ponder caught a break in the case, if that's what you want to call it. A man by the name of Johnny Waldrop, who was serving time in county jail, said he had information to share about the murder. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this dude is a fucking liar. Originally, Johnny told what? Yeah. A jailhouse snitch telling an untruth. This guy. Surely you just. He is going to drive you fucking crazy. Oh, God. Originally, Johnny told law enforcement he had woken Ed Walker up the morning after Nancy was last seen. This was corroborated by Ed. Um, Johnny was actually Ed's neighbor at the time and he would go over and like wake Ed up. Now he's changing his story over a decade later. He also changed his story multiple times over the years, but in 1984, while facing a much longer stay in prison, his story changed to implicate Ed Walker. I'm sure it was just a coincidence. Yeah. Johnny was well known to be a liar around town and over the years he hinted wildly at knowing more than he actually did about Nancy's murder. He was a huge troublemaker too. The reason he was currently looking at, and this was a big thing. Uh, Previously when he got called for things, he would just stay in the Madison County jail, which is kind of nice. And I'll talk about what the jail was like, but this time he was looking at going to federal prison for a good stint. And he was like, Oh fuck. The big boys. But the reason he was looking at it, the reason he was currently looking at federal prison time was because he attempted to shoot a local man, and this man filed charges against him. Like, literally, he was in the parking lot, he saw this guy, he pulled his gun, and the guy turned around to walk away from him, and the guy heard a click. His gun had jammed. Otherwise, Johnny would have fucking shot him. Okay. This man is fucking dangerous. 
E.Y. Ponder tried to talk the man out of the charges, but the man refused. Like, literally, Ponder went over to his house and was like, look, Johnny, he's a good old boy after all. So, you know, he had these charges, Johnny. Sorry, I wrote this weird. Anyways, the guy's not backing down. End of. So, Johnny knows he has these charges. So, he decides to steal a truck. And he heads for Texas. However... Texas? Why yeah. Texas? Okay. I have no fucking idea. This dude They're going to turn you in, but I don't know what, what you think you're doing, but alright. So, he gets to Texas. But he hasn't made it quite where he wants to go. But he's run out of gas and he has no money. So, this fucking idiot calls EY Ponder and says, hey, can you send me money so that I can return to Madison County? I have information for you. And Ponder's like... You had to drive all the way to Texas to decide that you wanted to come back? Yeah. So so Ponder's like, get fucked, dude. Um, Go to the local (laughs) sheriff's office and they will return you. Like, they'll pay for it to return you. So I don't have to do it. So that's what he does. Um, so now not only is he facing like an attempted murder charge or whatever, he's now facing another charge for auto theft. And evading police. (laughs) Yes. You just keep tacking on stuff. Yeah. Keep going. All right. So what's weird about this is like he pleads no contest he pleads guilty to these charges and he's supposed to be sent to federal prison but instead he's kept at madison county jail and he's there for about a year and suddenly after a year knowing he's gonna face a few more years like five or six years in jail he uh, offers a new account of what happened to ponder the night that Nancy died. And he's saying that Nancy died at the hands of Ed Walker now. Which, if you ask me, sounds like Ponder kept him in the local jail, convinced him to change his testimony. Which makes me wonder why Ponder's so interested in somebody else being found guilty for it. Uh, Because he wants to close the case. He doesn't want to upset anybody who's going to vote for him and... His local election, somebody from outside is going to be the best one. And if he doesn't get a close on the case, he's going to lose the next election. Well, I'm just saying maybe he or somebody that he knows or somebody who he's close to is perhaps guilty. Most definitely. And I will tell you who at the end. KKK. So, Ponder decided to make a trip to Florida and speak with Ed. That's all I'm saying. It's very suspicious suspicious um so ponder decided to make a trip to florida and speak with ed by this time ed had married and had a daughter um he was working as an auto parts supervisor at a dodge dealership and his wife worked nights at a police dispatch at 10 p.m on august 14th 1984 ed was home with his daughter and his niece when sheriff ponder along with two sbi agents knocked on his door they did this on purpose by the way doing it late at night um they wanted to like 
rattle him. So stupid. That would do it. Sure. It, it, I mean, it would do it to me. It would rattle me just because I probably would have been in bed if I had to guess. Yeah, probably. Uh, so they asked. I, I wasn't go- guilty. Obviously, I'm not going to say anything, but also it would have scared the bejesus out of me if I all of a sudden get arrested. Yeah, that would that would do it. Yeah. Well, and you also have to think like Ed probably doesn't know who these people are because E.Y. Ponder wasn't the sheriff at the time. Oh, yeah, because Ed wasn't local, right? Uh, yeah, Ed wasn't local. As soon as Nancy's funeral was over, he went home and packed up because they kicked the Vistas out of town. Oh, yeah. He okay. didn't stay. He kept in touch with some people from Madison County, like friends that he had made over the years. But, like, why would they? Yeah, it just it's not. He didn't even know who Ponder was. Um, but they asked Ed to go to the local sheriff's office for an interview. And Ed told them he couldn't leave until his wife arrived. He had two kids at the house. Like, what What do you expect? So they waited around. He made his um, daughter and niece go into the other room. And eventually his wife did um, show back up and he went to the station with the agents and ponder. Once they got him into an interview room, they read him his rights and made him sign them. At this point, Ed didn't really think they were doing anything other than questioning him. Like, he thought that they just were, like, making him recount what he was saying that night because they already had somebody. They read you your rights. That means that they suspect you're going to say something that could incriminate you. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, Like, you and I at this point would know. This is a fucking problem. I'd say, you know what I got to say to that? A lawyer. Um, Which you should always get a lawyer, even if they don't read you your rights. Um, Get a lawyer. Um, But that's how I would. I would absolutely love to tell you my account of the story. And I would love to tell you exactly what happened. However, I'm going to need my lawyer present. Yeah, exactly. It's always always get a lawyer. Um, But that's like. Are you making things difficult? No, 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 no. I want to. I definitely want to help. I just need my lawyer. Yeah. I don't want you to uh, pin anything on me. So, yeah. So, But that's kind of like, that, that tells you, like, how little Ed knew about the justice system and how, obviously, he didn't think, he didn't think anything about talking to the police because the dude's fucking innocent. If somebody, if somebody were guilty they'd be nervous as fuck well and but even back then right like that was the thing that was the thought process you hear it over and over and over in these situations where they're like i felt like it makes me look more guilty to to request a lawyer than to just answer their questions i didn't have anything to hide and i felt like it would make me feel look more guilty to be hesitant to answer questions and it's like or to ask to leave after I'm done. Like, I thought it would make me look guilty if I asked to leave after I had nothing else to say. No, you look like you know your rights. Mm-hmm. But back then, they were taught very differently. I mean, they were told, if you're innocent and you have nothing to hide, then why ask for a lawyer? Just answer the questions. Because What could know. go wrong? Yeah, because I don't know law. I don't know. I'm not that smart. I mean, I'm smart in different ways, but I don't know the law. I don't know what I can Well, and the other thing that you have to consider, too, 
it, and it's something that's not really talked about a lot, but it's something I've thought about. You don't know all of the information about the case. So you don't know how something small to you that you say could have something to do with the case and would lead them down a hole, like a rabbit hole where they feel like they got you. Because something insignificant to you that you say that as part of your account, even if you're wrong, you might accidentally say something incorrectly. They can like latch on to that and then use that later, even mm-hmm. though it had nothing to do with it and you didn't think anything about it. So yeah, exactly. just don't. But it's uh, it kills me every single time this happens. Like they're they're just like, well, I was innocent. So I, I didn't see any reason to worry about it. And it's like, yeah, you were innocent and naive, unfortunately. Well, and by all accounts, like Ed does everything right here. He does talk to the police, police without a lawyer, but you know, they questioned him for a while until he began to notice that the questioning was turning accusatory. At which point he asked officers, uh, what the fuck's up? He didn't, he didn't <laughs> probably not the language he was a strict editorializing <laughs> i feel like that wasn't something that would come out of his mouth <laughs> no like we said he's a square um and they dropped the bomb on him they told him a new eyewitness had stated they saw ed kill nancy uh at this point ed was like technically it wasn't a new eyewitness i know but that was the verbiage they used um at this point, Ed was like, y'all are fucking stupid. Take me home. Uh, again, editorializing. So they take him home. Paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. But one of them on the way basically says, you better have a really good damn lawyer. Um, the next day, Ed finds a lawyer. And the lawyer asks if the agents had a warrant for his arrest. Uh, and when Ed said no, the lawyer said to hang tight, but not to be too concerned at this point. Ed really thought that it was more of a fishing visit for information and they didn't get anything. So like, he just thought they had come down there to like try and get him to admit that he did something. And then like when he didn't, you know, that was it. The first part was correct. The second part I have a feeling was not. They were fishing. They were trying to get something. But they're not done. They're not gonna. uh, But it doesn't stop them. This didn't last, though. Five days later, after submitting testimony from Johnny, um, EY Ponder, SBI and FBI agents, a grand jury indicted Ed Walker for first-degree murder, rape, and obstruction of justice. A grand jury off of a jailhouse snitch change of eyewitness testimony a a decade later that's Mm -hmm. all they had and a grand jury said yep that's enough yeah okay but again you have to think about where they're getting the grand jury pool from and that's madison county yeah the whole thing um what's even more fucked up is like ed didn't find out from the district court either about this indictment. He found out the day after the indictment from his former Vista supervisor, uh, Hames about the indictment. Hames had called Ed after reading about it in the Charlotte observer. That's how Ed found out he was indicted on these charges. Okay. How is that possible? 
they had mailed the warrant for his arrest to him. So the warrant didn't show up. So they before. reported it before they yeah. even gave it time to get to him? Mm-hmm. Okay. And throughout this whole thing, the I sheriff- feel like that can't be t- typical. Mm-mm. I don't think okay. it is. Um, throughout the whole thing, like the sheriff's office, the sheriff himself, SBI agents, FBI agents, they are just fucking talking to the media nonstop. Nonstop. From the time Nancy was murdered to this. Politics. Uh, yeah. Ed went back to his attorney who checked and found that the warrant did actually exist. He then offered to arrange for Ed to have a public defender in Madison County for the trial. But Ed, frustrated, asked how that would even be possible since he owned a house, a condo, a boat, and two cars. He also had a bunch of money in the bank at the time. None of that fucking matters, by the way, if you're going on trial for murder. No. Unless you are a millionaire, it doesn't matter. He was somehow able to arrange for a public defender who coordinated a public defender in Florida who uh, coordinated with local prosecution in Madison County on how Ed would turn himself in. Wait a second. How is coordinated with a lawyer in Florida? So, so did um, they have a license to practice in no. North or South Carolina? I can't remember where Asheville is. Uh, it's North it's North Carolina. So, no. The public defender in Florida coordinated with the prosecution and public defender's office in Madison County to arrange how Ed would turn himself in. So Ed was going to show up, turn himself in. He had the public defender's office waiting for him. But prosecution stated since Ed, if Ed turned himself in, if he got himself to Madison County on his own dime, that they would allow him to bail himself out. Okay. Right. They came to this agreement. Ed paid for his trip and turned up himself. All of the things. During this time, Ed was also advised to get his wife and daughter to a safe place. The news was spreading nationally and they would be heavily affected by the media. Ed packed his things thinking he was going to be there for a couple of days. He even got out like some um, uh, traveler's checks or, you know, cashier's. It was either cashier's checks or traveler's checks. It was about $5,000 worth. Thinking he was going to. I'd be traveler's checks. Cashier's checks aren't quite as like portable. Yeah. Thinking he was going to like, you know, bond himself out with that. He also got. He was excited because he had found some coupons for, like, the local hotel, hotel there, like the Hilton or whatever. So he wasn't going to have to pay full price for a hotel stay. Um, so he thought he was just going to, like, get there, bond out, talk through this whole thing for a couple of days. They would finally realize, like, it wasn't him and he would be home again by the next week. That didn't happen, though. Once he arrived, they immediately jailed him where he was going to stay until the trial began. The jail was very different from what you would see in movies, though. It was more like a dormitory um, than a jail. You had your own room with a door you could lock and a common area where you could hang out. You could come and go as you please, and the meals were homemade. 
He was allowed to have his suitcase. They didn't even search it and keep on his own clothing. It was odd for sure. It was more like, like I said, a dorm. At the time, at the time that Ed was jailed in Madison County, there was another inmate there. He was the son of E.Y. Ponder's friend and Hot Springs Police Chief Leroy Johnson. Richard Johnson, the son, was awaiting trial for poisoning his five-year-old daughter to death. And I just want to note that the morning that Nancy's body was found, Leroy Johnson was in court with his son, Richard Johnson. Richard Johnson was up for doing, I think he like tried to burn something down with his friends. I don't really remember what it was, but they both saw uh, Roy Richards run from the courthouse when he got the news about Nancy's body being found. And when they left court that day, Leroy Johnson and Richard Johnson showed up at the crime scene. Leroy Johnson got out of the car to ask questions to them about what was happening. Well, that's odd. Well, Leroy Johnson is a police chief. So, you know, whatever. Now... During his arraignment, Ed was appointed a public defender, Joe Huff. His bail was set pretty high, and he wasn't able to afford it. Um, Joe, however, couldn't have been a better pick for Ed. Joe hated the Ponder brothers and was one well, already I like him. <laughs> of a lawyer. This trial would be one of the biggest he ever sat on. Joe Huff and Zeno Ponder, the younger Ponder brother, were pretty much enemies from childhood. And it kind of goes back to the Bloody Madison story. Huff was from money and lived in the right neighborhoods in Madison, while Zeno Ponder didn't. He was the complete opposite. One was Republican and the other Democratic. One family obviously fought for the Confederate, while the other fought for the Union during the Bloody Madison incident. No kidding. These two I wonder how much Ed really appreciated the fact that he's on trial and this is all turning into a political nightmare. Well, the like, thing all, is, it's just fodder basically for, for everybody. The thing is like at the time, nobody really, unless you were local, nobody really understood that this was happening, that all of this was like kind of underlying the whole County. It didn't come out till later. So, I don't know if Ed actually knew about it or not. I mean, he would have had, I don't know. He seems a little bit. I would, I think, I would think his lawyer would have said, dude, I got you. Even if I didn't believe you were innocent, which by the way, I do. I'm out for blood. So, you're good. Oh, yeah. Joe Huff definitely believed that he was innocent. And it wasn't, it wasn't just because he hated E.Y. Ponder. It was because there was no evidence. Um, but, like, so these two actually got I feel into- like this would be a really quick trial because they have, like, one thing. Wow. We'll get to basically. It. So, at one point, Joe Huff and um, um, the younger Zeno Ponder, the younger Ponder brother, got into a fist fight at the courthouse. Like, they hated each other so much that they got into a fistfight in the courthouse. Both, at the end, claimed to have won the fight, but no one really I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew that was coming. That's such a guy thing. 
know. It's so stupid. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You I kicked his ass. And then you hear it from the other guy and he's saying the exact same thing. You're like, you couldn't have both kicked each other's ass. Who won? Yeah. Neither of them did. That's the answer. Because they had a fight in the middle of a court session. Yeah. Um. So that's that's all set in place. Now, at some point before going back to Madison, Ed went... So this was before he turned himself in. Ed went to take a lie detector test with an independent company on the advice from his Florida public defender. And he did pass this test with flying colors. Um. And I want to know. Surprising. I mean, he sounds like one of those upstanding citizens. He probably couldn't lie if he tried. And so the guy was like, "Yeah, this all this all matches. <laughs> it's not yeah. even difficult." He's the biggest square I've ever met. <laughs> uh, I'm so I feel so bad. For I, don't, I don't. I don't feel like I even need this machine. I can just look <laughs> at you and tell. <laughs> oh God. Um. So he passed the test with flying colors. And I want to note, too, that he took a lie detector test with the SBI at some point. I don't know when this was. I don't know if it was during the original investigation or if it was later. But the results were never released, like, ever. And they refused to release the test to anyone. He passed it. If he hadn't passed it, they would have had no problem releasing it. I agree. Now... In a strange turn of events, a man by the name of Tom Maloney had heard about Ed's arrest and the accusations that came from Johnny and requested to meet with Ed while he was in the jail in Madison County. He offered to pay Ed's high bail and put his house up as collateral to do so. These two have never met, by the way. He did this because Tom was the man that Johnny had tried to shoot a year previously. I Okay, I, I kind of like this guy for yeah, multiple well, reasons now. But, like, this guy's a joker. I'll, I'll help you out here. Pretty much. I don't believe well, a word coming out of this guy's mouth. Yeah, well, and Tom knew that, like, Johnny was just a prolific liar. Like, he had been dealing with him for years uh, at this point, And they had just... He used to be friends with Johnny. And then when he had like stolen some of it, I don't remember what it was. There were a lot of stories about Johnny and I didn't feel it necessary to put it in. But then he pulled that shit and tried to shoot him. And he was like, uh-uh, we ain't doing this. It's do the it. line has been drawn. You have crossed mm-hmm. it. We're done. So thanks to Tom, Ed bailed out and returned to Florida immediately. Once home, Ed's life began to spiral downward. Duh. Due to the publicity of the upcoming trial, he lost his job. His wife lost hers. They began to bleed money. They sold everything and cashed in their retirement accounts, but it just wasn't enough to keep them afloat. He lost literally everything. He lost his house, the condo, boat, both cars, and they were forced to move into an apartment in a not-so-great area of town. By the time of the trial... The walkers were down to only $52 in an ancient Cadillac. <clears throat> they had given up their apartment and were truly homeless at this point. Um, when the trial was po- postponed, they moved their few remaining pieces of furniture into a garage apartment at Ed's sister's home. See, this is the kind of thing that they don't talk about. Um, when it comes to stuff like this is how, okay, fine. Let's, let's say we don't know that he's innocent, but still 
like innocent before until proven guilty. But that's not how it works in a lot of these cases, unless of course it involves a certain other type of assault. But you're not innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty until you prove otherwise. And like, cause this should not have negatively impacted his job or her, let alone her job. She had nothing to do with it anyway. I mean, she met him way after this. If, even if he yeah. was guilty, she had nothing to do with it. So now her life is at risk. Their child's life is at risk. Like well, seriously. And the trauma for the child. Like, and they did nothing to deserve this. I mean, he didn't either. But even if he was guilty, they never did anything to deserve this. So, like, this is the kind of thing that bothers me the most in these situations. Just because the family of even the guilty perpetrators, the family, what they go through. and they're victims. They're victims themselves. Like, it's just oh, so mind-blowing mind and really frustrating. How people, when, how vicious people can be to each other. No, for no seriously. Reason. It's, I just, I'm so, it made me so mad because he seems to be a genuinely good person from all accounts. And he was living, like. And obviously his wife believed him because she stuck by him throughout all of this. Oh, yeah. And, like, it just, I, I don't know. I it, it pissed me off. Because it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. He shouldn't have been, you know, judged in the court of the media before any of this. And that's why, like, the laws in Germany and Europe and stuff like that, where they don't even release the names of those going on trial until they've been convicted. I Which think makes so a important. lot more sense, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I truly think. That also just, makes it a little easier for you to have an unbiased jury. Yeah, because they haven't heard anything, so they have no idea. They have no preconceived notions before they even step foot on the jury. It's, it's just immediately media jumps on it. There, there's all these people talking about speculation, and that's why we don't speculate about. Well, we speculate about a little bit of stuff, but we yeah. say what our opinions are. That's it. Yeah. But we present the evidence first. Correct. Now, when the trial started, Ed's daughter and wife actually ended up having to tra travel to Madison County by Greyhound because they just didn't have the money to get there. Um, do, do, do. Nancy Morgan's family was sparse at the trial since, since from the time of her murder until the trial occurred, 12 years had elapsed and her father actually passed away. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure it was like, a very painful cancer that did it too. Um, like pancreatic cancer or something. I, I don't remember what it was, but yeah. So he had passed away. Uh, you know, Abigail's not really in the best state. Um, so it ended up being like Abigail and one of the sons or something like that. Um, and I do believe that Tom ended up, um, getting a place for, um, uh, Ed's family to stay while during the trial. So Tom Maloney stepping up again. He just fucking hates Johnny so much. <laughs> do what you gotta do. It's uh, real. I, I think it was Tom who did it. It might have been another local person who did it. Um, and by all accounts, like a lot of local people were like, Ed Walker didn't do this. So a lot of the local people were like, it could have been a Vista worker, but if it was one, it wasn't Ed Walker. Because they all liked him. He was also a total square 
and they knew it. I now, feel like somebody is saying my husband killed somebody before I met him. Sorry. Mm. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> not going to happen. I've never even heard him raise his voice. Come on. True. All truth. That's all I can think of. Um, that's, I mean, honestly, as you're talking about him, you're like, he's such a square. Like, everybody I mean, loved him. Paul's like, not a square. Paul, we're not calling you a square. <laughs> you're just not a harmful person. And also completely incapable of hiding anything. That's true. That is and true. I feel like this guy, that's what's, Ed sounds like one of those people that, it, I mean, he, he could probably try to lie, but you'd probably read it on his face. Yeah. Just by sure. all accounts. Like, that's why I said the lie, whenever she, he got his lie detector done, they were probably like, I don't even need the machine, but sure, we'll go ahead and strap you up to it. Yeah. Oh, God. Now, Johnny was the second to testify at the trial. The first one was actually Roy Roberts, who who testified first, the previous sheriff. But we're only going to focus on Johnny here. <clears throat> so Johnny's up. Uh, he had been kept under strict guard before the trial because the idiot had made a run for it before the trial could start. <laughs> this is this is about to go off the fucking rails. I hope you're ready. <laughs> I don't feel like I am, but go for it. He testified that he saw Nancy at Ed's house Saturday afternoon while he was cutting the grass, which no one else saw him cutting the grass. Like, there's no proof that he was there and he saw Nancy. Late that Sunday night, after hearing a noise, Johnny said he went to the walker's house. Quote, I walked around to the side of the house and looked through the window, and I seed two people in the house and one on the couch, unquote. He said Nancy didn't have clothes on and had a cord running from her neck to her feet. He didn't mention if her hands had been tied or not, which they were in real life. But we all know this motherfucker's lying anyways. He then said that he entered the house to save Nancy and saw her eyes moving, the lids fluttering. But before he could release her, the life seemed to go out of her. Then suddenly, without provocation, Ed Walker punched him in the nose, drawing blood. The Vista worker, who ha who was unarmed, told Johnny that, quote, if I didn't help them dispose of the body, they was going to kill me. I was told if I didn't drive the car, I'd be killed too, unquote. <clears throat> At no point did Johnny try to drive off and get help while supposedly ha having Nancy's body in the backseat. Like, he didn't, like, they were in separate cars, according to Johnny. And he didn't like try to leave and get help, but okay, sure. Also, his 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 testimony had changed from the original multiple times, and a lot of people didn't believe what he was saying right now, especially because he was trying to save her. Like he was trying to be heroic, so they all know he was like fucking lying. Now, there's a little bit more where he's like. Yeah, after we left the car, I got in the car with um, Ed, and he was so mad. Um, he, he was saying that he was in love with Nancy and all of this other stuff. Like, none of it was true. Uh, and that he had gone home that night, and then when he showed back Even up. Even Seven doesn't think so. <laughs> yeah. When he showed back up the next day, everything had been cleaned up, and Ed Walker was, like, burning papers or something. Burning papers? Yeah, I have no... Like, what... Did, did Nancy, like write him love like what the fuck are you talking about 
It's like out of a bad movie. Now, on cross, this is. <laughs> I hope you're ready. This is so good. On cross examination, Joe Huff humil- humiliated this fucker. <clears throat> I don't think it took very much, but go ahead and tell me what happened. He made him look like a fucking moron. It was epic. For time's sake, I can't go into all the details. He pretty much debunked everything Johnny had testified to. It was just, it was amazing. It was so bad that Johnny kept asking the judge if he could go to the bathroom in the middle of (laughs) cross-examination. And when the judge didn't respond, Johnny eventually just stepped off the stand and left the court. The judge had to call for a recess. But a few minutes later, someone sitting inside the courthouse spotted Johnny strolling down the street away from the courthouse while he was supposed to be using the bathroom. (laughs) He wasn't done testifying. It was like something out of Liar Liar. (laughs) He had to be retrieved by deputies and returned. But he was so frustrated that he told Huff he wasn't answering any more of his damn questions. He then did the bathroom stunt again and eventually was dismissed from the stand after a few hours of cross. Everyone knew this was a fucking circus and Johnny was lying. Everyone was worried it was heading for a mistrial. Including the defense. If he refused to answer questions, is the not pleading the fifth? And if he pleads the fifth, then his entire testimony is ruled out, correct? Yeah, and all they have is his testimony. But the problem is the defense wants this to go to well yeah you want an acquittal so then he can't you want an acquittal not a mistrial yeah Yeah. if you get a mistrial you're just gonna keep if they dismiss the charges he can still be brought up on charges at a later time and that was actually like a point of contention between ed walker and his attorney huff ed wanted huff to get the charges dismissed and huff was like we don't want to do that because they can always come back at you at some point it's we like they have nothing. We want this trial to proceed because they got nothing. And there's no way that a real jury is going to say that you did this. Pretty much. Yeah. It was. It this was, is your best chance for an acquittal and never having to deal with this ever again. True. Yes. All of that. <clears throat> so Huff fucking eviscerated Johnny. The rest of the child. Child. The rest of the trial was kind of anticlimactic. Testimony from agents who worked the case, one in which Huff had uh, it come to light that the FBI had actually lost some of the evidence in the case, some of Nancy's clothing and jewelry, as well as the nylon cord that had caused her death. So it doesn't matter if they washed the clothes or not, Samantha, because they fucking lost it. They're gone. Oh, I fucking can't. The SBI admitted, the SBI, not the FBI, the SBI admitted that they were given the evidence at some point from the FBI and had lost it. The SBI agent, Charlie Chambers, also undermined Johnny's testimony by recounting contradictory stories that Johnny had told about the murder. So Johnny told a lot of stories about the murder. You don't say. And when Charlie got up there, he told the wrong story. And he was like, oh, no, 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 I mean this. Oh, no, 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 I mean this. See, that's the problem when you lie. You have to keep up with your lies. If you tell the truth, you don't have anything to keep up with. Bingo, bingo. Um, One thing I did. Memory required to lie. Let's let's be clear. 
Yeah. So one thing uh, Huff did that is gross as fuck, and like so far we've liked Huff, but this kind of like turns me off to him. I mean, he's done an excellent job in this trial, but this is fucking gross. Um, he smeared Nancy's reputation. He leaned into the slut shaming to try and create a narrative of some other men being involved and like fucking yuck. And I understand that you're trying to keep somebody from going to prison wrongfully, but you don't have to smear the victim's name for that. Agreed. So the trial took about, (laughs) the trial took about a week and there were several called to testify, but the case was all circumstantial. No real evidence existed against Ed. And in fact, there had been plenty of evidence that they could have tested to prove it wasn't him. You know, the sperm, the fingerprints, none of it. <clears throat> but again, they're good at losing evidence, so maybe they can't. So in the end, the jury came back with a not guilty verdict. So that's it, right? Ed didn't do it, and he couldn't be convicted again. Double jeopardy, all of that. But who actually killed Nancy? We actually know, sort of, who did it. Um, Like I said, I didn't make notes of this because my notes were already, like, running super long. Um, The last half of the book, Met Her on the Mountain, Mark Pinksky actually spends several years, decades, nay decades, trying to track down who actually killed Nancy Morgan. And he didn't believe from the beginning that Ed Walker did it. Most people didn't. Um, And he ends up coming to the conclusion after many years of interviews with people and things like that. You remember when Ed Walker was in the jail and E.Y. Ponder's friend's son was in there. Mm -hmm. This is Richard Johnson, and he was awaiting trial for the murder of his five-year-old daughter, who he poisoned. So... Richard Johnson was a part of kind of like a local gang there. Um, But just like ne'er-do-wells. They were known to actually pick, find women out alone at night and take them and brutally rape them and uh, leave them. Uh, The group was known for this, but it was constantly being covered up by the Ponder brothers because Chief Leroy Johnson was a friend of the Ponders. It was well known in the entire Madison County that they were just fucking gross people. And, and, um, pretty much... It said that he's the one who did it. And here's how it kind of ended. Mark Pinksky, along with Ed Walker, in, ended up going to meet with Richard Johnson, who was serving a life sentence for the murder of his daughter. Because, by the way, he did actually murder her. And the reason he murdered his daughter was to get the attention of his ex-wife. Well, that'll so do was, it. He was murdering his, or he was poisoning his daughter and his son at the time, but he killed her. And the whole thing is like, leading up to her death, she had been 
put in the hospital multiple times for poisoning, people knew. People knew what he was doing. And that's how fucked up this whole county is. People knew what he was capable of and what he was doing, and they constantly covered up for him. So when Mark Pinsky and Ed Walker went to visit him in prison, he admitted to the whole thing. He gave the entire story of what happened that night. They had blocked her way, caused her to like pull over. They abducted her. They raped her. And she choked at some point. And then they dumped her body. They also fed her in that time, which corresponded with the food that was found inside of her. So Mark Pinksky and Ed Walker, among a couple of other people, take this confession at some point to the SBI agents involved. And they won't do anything with it because they say that they already know who killed Nancy Morgan and it was Ed Walker and they can't convict him for it again. So multiple times, Mark Pinksky, the author of Matter on the Mountain, along with Ed Walker, along with other law enforcement people, take this. Richard even writes it out and gives it to the SBI agents, mails it into the FBI, mails it into the sheriff's office, and they reject it because they say that they know that Ed Walker is the person who killed Nancy Morgan. They just can't convict him. So that's the end of the case. So this sounds so familiar because there was another case. Oh, who covered it? I was I was listening to it on a podcast like last week. Um, I think it might have been, and that's why we drink. I, I could be wrong. But it was it was the same situation. It was a situation where I think a couple was abducted. And it just sounded too far-fetched. And so the police were nailing them to a cross, essentially, and saying that they made up the entire story. And these people that actually abducted them are like, no, here, we abducted them. It was totally us. Here's proof. And the police are like, no, 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 they lied. Nope. And they're like, but we're telling you it was us. It was definitely us. Here's the recordings that we have of us keeping them. Here's the videos where we actually raped her. Here are every, here's everything. They are not lying. Like these people were terrible people. They all obviously abducted this couple. They did terrible things to them. But at the same time, they're like, they're not guilty of this. And you guys are making their life a living hell, but you shouldn't be because they're telling the truth. And the police are like, nope, nope. They bribed you to do this. You know, there's something to be said about being able to say when you're wrong and just mm-hmm. fucking owning up to it and saying, you know what? We got it wrong. Let's make it right. Yeah. Just, but they just, just they, and right. there's more political stuff that goes behind it, especially when it comes to like the SBI during this time. And the reason that they refuse to accept that confession And a lot of it has to do that they didn't have a great light shine on them when it came to light that they had fucked up multiple cases. They had bribed people, all of this other stuff. And they had internal investigations going on. So they were. Well, this ain't making it any better, though. That's the thing. Like, I don't understand why digging your heels in, you feel like that's going to make it any better than just freaking own up to it. Like, on a much lower scale, I have clients and there are some times where I just literally drop the ball. It's not often, but it does happen. 
And I could deny it like a lot of people I've worked with have done. And it works until it doesn't. Or I can do what I do because I can't lie, as I've already established. And I say, look, dudes, I I suck. I completely forgot about it. And I do apologize. But here's what I'm doing to make it right. These are the steps I'm taking to make up for my mistake. And usually the client's like, oh, cool. No big deal. I appreciate you being honest. And I appreciate you, t- appreciate you taking care of it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, Make and- it right. <laughs> it's not that not- hard. They're not going to. Um, there were other people who were involved in this. It wasn't just Richard Johnson. There were, um, there was three other guys who abducted her, raped her, killed her, the whole thing. And the SBI did go out and they did interview these people, uh, the ones that were still alive. Um, you know, one kind of cop to it a little bit. The other one refused to cop to it. Uh, they had plenty of evidence that they could have tested against these people and they just never did. So, um, that's the murder of Nancy Morgan. Like I said at the beginning, it's unsolved. We kind of know who it is and it's not the person who went on trial. Allegedly. So. Well, that's deeply unsatisfying. So thanks for that. That's why I had to tell you. I was so obsessed about this story. I just kept rereading the book over and over again. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's also, it's really frustrating because Mark Pinsky took out so much time of his life Mm -hmm. to do this. And when he got a confession from someone, and it wasn't even like, it wasn't like he was gunning for somebody like the law enforcement agencies were. He was actually doing the investigation that those. And this is one time that somebody who was guilty actually confessed and said, yeah, it was me. Mm-hmm. And they that doesn't always it. happen. But this person at the, I mean, he's a terrible person. Let's not skew it. But he at the very least is like, all right, I mean, I got nothing to lose. So I, yeah. yeah, I definitely did it. I might as well tell you now. Because what, what's going to happen? I'm going to get another last sentence. Yeah. Probably not well, because that was, they're not ever going to take it to trial. So that's here what you go. He said too. He was like, "I'm not going anywhere. There's no point in me keeping this to myself. I might as well come clean for it." And at no point does he ever take back what he says. He goes so far as to write up, sign, and send his confession to these agencies, and they just won't fucking listen. Oh, it could have been coerced. Bitch, that's what y'all did to Johnny. I was about to say, you would know, wouldn't you? (laughs) So, yeah. At the end of the day, Ed Walker did eventually get his life back together. It's unsolved, but it's not. Yeah. It's unsolved, but it's not. Yeah. And that's unsolved on paper. Yeah. That's why we get so frustrated with law enforcement. So, yay. Oh, it's finally done. Well, on the bright side, it's out of your head. On the on the uh, not so bright side, it's now in mine. So, um, but great job. It was a good case. Thanks. It definitely is one that needs to be heard. I'd definitely never heard of it before. So, thank you for all of the work you put in. Um, hey, I can actually I do some work sometimes. <laughs> and happy belated uh. birthday. Thanks. Thanks. It's been a great one. Uh, thanks for my concert. It's a great one. Now, um, where can the listeners find us on the medias? 
Uh, well, if they're looking for us on Facebook or Instagram, they can find us on at Reaper Tales Podcast. Uh, what about email? You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. Email us your show suggestions. Haha, uh-huh, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting on it. <laughs> email us to tell me how good of a job I did on this case, even though it came to you a little bit late. Don't don't pester me about it being late. Um, and email me to let me know happy birthday, because the whole month of July and a little bit into August is still my birthday. So Obviously. She's a Leo. Yeah. Come on. And uh, also <laughs> make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, all the things. Write a written review if you're being so kind um, as to do so. And uh, bonus points if you do it on ones that you don't listen to. But we appreciate all of you for listening, whether you do all of those things or not. Because we really just wanted to do this because we were like, hey, we talk about this stuff all the time. So why not record it and share it and see if anybody's interested? So, so thank you guys for listening. So thanks. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for, for sticking listening. around for this long. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Until next time. Bye. The reaper will come for us all.